drank way too much. Oh, where am I? Where am I? Oh God, where's my keys? I gotta go. I gotta drive home. Ooh, take a deep breath. You're gonna be fine. Just smile and everything is gonna be okay. What? What are you looking at? You, I see you judging me. What? You think you know me? Nobody knows me. I mean, nobody really knows me. Not really. It's like they see me, but somehow I'm still invisible. It's all good, though. Never let them see you sweat, they say. I figure I know where it all started. It was another hot summer day in the Bahamas. I could still smell the salt in the air from the ocean breeze. Most people would have called it a paradise, but for me... It became a prison. Unfortunately, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the day they let that nasty old man violate me. <laughs> I could still feel his prickly white beard across my skin. Do you know that I was scared out of my mind? But I stayed there, stiff as a board, until it was finally safe to move. Then, pew, I ran out of there like a bat out of hell. I raced all the way down the hill and up the street until I found my aunt and I told her everything. I knew she would protect me. <laughs> Wait, scratch that. I thought she would protect me. After a few stern words, everything was back to normal. Can you believe that's all they did? Do you know what it felt like to watch them laugh and discuss the events of the day like nothing even happened? I was humiliated. I guess that's the day I learned my worth. On TV, I saw little white girls with their blonde pigtails. They got justice. I watched as the police locked away the bad guy and their parents held them and comforted them and told them everything was gonna be okay. Somebody was there to fight for them. Why not me? But hey, that's the past, right? So I moved on. One day I found myself in the arms of a boy and everything in the world was right again. After three beautiful years, I held a baby girl with eyes like my own. But in a flash, my family fell apart as I watched him walk away. Then bam, just like that, what I perceived as hope found me again in the form of a god with the complexion of honey and curly dark brown hair. Hmm. He called me little mama, so I called him poppy. My heart fluttered when he spoke because he always made me feel beautiful and special, valuable. I'm barely 5'3", weighing only 116 pounds, so his 5'11", 210 frame would tower over mine. It used to make me feel safe until the abuse started. What was once a sparkle in his eye when I walked in the room was now the look of a predator who was ready for his next meal. Just take off my clothes and tell me you love me. So here comes baby number one. What? Wait, you can't leave me now. We were supposed to be a family. But because he no longer wanted us, I aborted. But look who comes running back. She can never love you like I can. And then there was baby number two. You didn't have to rape me. I would have given you my love freely. Wait, I'm sorry, whatever I did, I'm sorry. Please don't leave me again. My heart can't take much more. And if I abort this child, 
my body won't either. I can barely stand to breathe without you, but it looks like I have to because I can't take it anymore. I'm gone. I'm gone. No, wait, don't cry. Not suicide. Don't don't take your life. I promise I'll stay. I just I just want to feel safe to feel valuable again. Baby number three, you said, you said that you needed me, that you couldn't live without me, but somehow you find the strength every time my belly starts to swell. You raped me, so why am I now the enemy? We were finally going to be free, my baby and me. After the black eyes, the bruises, and the emotional scarring, I finally found the strength to leave. But this time, this time it was too late. My hope now lies dead inside of me. I was going to name him Carlos. But smile, they say. It's better this way, they say. You can now be free, they say. Free to live your life, but how? How am I supposed to move on like everything is okay? I'm broken. I'm not okay. But if, if I keep drinking, at least I can pretend. Oh, don't worry about me. You know, I'll be fine. I'll find my closure at the bottom of this bottle. And I'll put on a happy face like everything is okay. And they will be none the wiser. Rule number one of a strong black woman. Never let them see you sweat. So cheers to the strong black woman. Hey, it's me, Ashley, a.k.a. Sweets Virtue, and this is I Still Need Jesus, the podcast. It's an honest collection of prayers in story form, followed by life lessons found in the scriptures of the Holy Bible. I hope you enjoy. So as you can see by the monologue, I was going through some really heavy things at that time in my life. By the way, that is my real life. That is a real, you know, synopsis of what I went through in um, my earlier adult years. That's not fake. That's that's real stuff. So, you know, it was real. God got me through it. All glory be to God. But like I said, I was going through some really heavy uh, times and I had no way to release the pressure. So I hid my pain the best way I could. And I ended up imploding, you know, basically slowly killing myself what I perceived to be my biggest strength, you know, to keep up a a nice face and to keep smiling and to act like everything was okay. What I perceived to be a strength was actually one of my biggest weaknesses. It was an inability or rather a refusal to face my pain and the difficulty that I was having in my life. And it caused me to live under a cloud of hopelessness and addiction. I was living, you know, under the illusion that in order to be strong, You just had to keep moving and you just had to, you know, act like you were shaking it off. And I thought I was shaking it off, but I was only drowning, you know, all of those emotions. I was only burying them. And like they say, you know, you bury a seed, it's only going to grow into something. So these issues just kind of grew roots and they caused problems and they caused deep seeded problems as well. You know, so I was burying this pain, thinking that I was, you know, being strong and moving on, but 
it caused other weaknesses and other issues in my life that I just didn't understand, you know? So I was living under this cloud, under this illusion that everything would be okay if I just kept smiling. And, you know, yeah, you can cry, but don't cry too much. Yeah, you can be hurt, but don't be hurt for long. And, you know, just keep moving. Just act like everything's okay, you know? As a man thinketh, so is he. So I just pretended for so long that I thought I was okay. I ended up fooling myself, but you know, you can't fool God. You know, the enemy isn't even fooled by our uh, by our uh, charades. He's not fooled. So yet again, I was still hurting. I was literally going insane. I felt myself falling apart. There was no way for me to diagnose what I was going through. You know, um the common narrative among the black community is silence or desperate prayer, which if we're being honest, is usually fueled by fear instead of faith and basically straight up denial. What looked like resilience to people and to myself was really a lie because the definition of resilience is when a person is able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. The truth was, I wasn't recovering from anything. I was just hiding. Those wounds that were festering inside of me just developed more shame, more self-hatred, and I was dying inside. And if these things continued, eventually I would have killed myself. I wanted to kill myself, if we're being honest. Fast forward today, I don't drink anymore. I mean, not excessively, at least. I do have the occasional wine cooler at parties, but... All that heavy drinking is in my past. I can't handle it. I don't like it. And I'm not even tempted to do it. That monologue was from a really difficult season of my life. And alcohol was in heavy rotation. I would drink sometimes until I passed out. I had become such a drinker that I really didn't even know my limits. I could gauge about, you know, 10 or 11 shots before I knew I was drunk. But I really didn't understand my limits. And even though these days I'm not much of a drinker, my impulse towards escapism didn't die with my drinking habit. The definition of escapism is the tendency to seek distraction or relief from unpleasant realities, especially by seeking entertainment or engaging in fantasy. You can either call it escapism or self-medication. It takes so many forms. I've spent my entire life trying to escape personal trauma. And it isn't always in destructive habits. I've chosen sex. I've chosen masturbation, relationships, career, ministry, and service, success, food, shopping. You name it, I've probably tried it. It's just about anything that will help me escape mentally, emotionally, whatever it is. Even for a moment, I would try it. I've used escapism as a coping mechanism for years, pretty much as far as I can remember you know, those mechanisms are not as easily spotted, you know, because I'm living a different life and I'm saved and sanctified. But I still find little triggers where I find myself running away from the problem and hiding in some random thing. So I still have to really be very aware of my emotions, be very aware of triggers because I need my freedom. I used to think as long as I wasn't sinning or hurting anyone that it was okay for me to escape every now and again, you know, as much as I needed to. I didn't realize that this addiction of mine was deeply rooted in fear and would eventually cost me my peace. 
the piece I was so desperately seeking, this this form of, of, of relief was eventually going to steal that piece away from me. In the Amplified Version of the Bible, uh, John 14, verse 26, uh, the Holy Spirit is called a comforter. And it reads, But the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will help you remember everything that I have told you. So by seeking comfort, which is the Holy Spirit's job, and anything or anyone else but God, I had made that thing, that person, that event, that whatever it is, I made that thing, even myself at times, a God. In essence, escapism is idolatry. There was no place, absolutely no place in our lives for escapism because there's no replacement for God. Whenever we try to replace or substitute God, we only create a bigger problem, a deeper void, and a bigger barrier between ourselves and God. And if we ignore that thing, it'll eventually spread like cancer, eating away at us and eventually stealing the very gifts that God wants to bestow upon us. Most people would describe what I was doing in these random, horrible relationships. Most people would say that I was looking for love in all the wrong places. But the truth is, whatever we're looking for, if we don't first find it in God, then we too have sought and out an unworthy and incapable source, aka all the wrong places. These things give us a false sense of power or control, and we're sometimes just not even willing to see that it's a problem. If I'm being honest, if God asked me in this present day to give up something that makes me feel safe in a controlled environment, it immediately brings up angry tears. I'm being honest, like I get angry. And let me unpack this statement. Anger at its root is hurt. It's pain. Usually people think, well, I'm just mad. Well, why are you mad? It's not just because someone said something or did something or something didn't work out your way. At the very root of that feeling, of that emotion of anger, is pain. So out of our flesh, the word says that our flesh is at enmity with God. Romans 8 verse 7 reads, For a sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. Our sinful hearts are prone to desire being worshipped rather than worshipping a worthy God. And I know you don't initially think that or you don't initially feel that way. But worshipping God requires us to submit to him. To say, not my way, but your way. Not in my time, but your time. Not the way I think it is, but the way that you think it is. So... In worshiping God, we will have to deny ourselves and give over to whatever God says is right. And when we have to deny ourselves, when we're hurting, that's the last thing we want to do is to deny ourselves satisfaction, deny ourselves vindication, deny ourselves revenge or whatever it is. We want to be satisfied. So in doing that, we worship ourselves, we reverence our own emotions over God's. By acknowledging these things, it allows me to understand or to recognize the condition of my heart 
and then the Holy Spirit will draw me towards repentance first. And then I can begin to plead for God's help. And God being the passionate, I'm sorry, the compassionate God that he is, he so graciously answers my cry. And I'm able to find peace, even when it still hurt. I mean, sometimes I'm ready to have a full-blown panic attack. But isn't it like the enemy to paint an inaccurate picture of God's actions towards us? I mean, he'll literally paint a picture of God's actions of love as an act of war against us. He'll make it look like God's boundaries for us, his loving boundaries of protection are limitations and God just hating on us or stopping our blessings. But it's just not true. I mean, I had to work really hard at reminding myself continually of God's love for me as his daughter. And as I focus in on those things, it makes it easier for me to begin to surrender my emotions, those especially those negative ones towards God, to surrender those emotions to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 through 5 reads, The weapons of our warfare are not weapons of this world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, our negative emotions towards God, if we're being honest, we do have those negative emotions towards him. Like anytime God is saying no and you wanted him to say yes, negative emotions tend to rise up. But when we realize that God is doing this because he loves us, God is closing that door to protect us. God is restricting our access because we're not ready. And it's protective measures. Instead of the ugly picture that the enemy is trying to paint, we're able to see God in his true light, out of his love. Our instincts out of fear is to run from him. But we should really be running toward him, surrendering every emotion to him, especially the negative ones. But you got to be intentional about it. You have to take captive every thought that comes into your mind every emotion, when you have it, don't let that thing stew, but confront it immediately with the word of God. Confront it immediately with worship. Confront it immediately with all the times that God has come through for you, all the times that he showed his love for you. And you tell that devil to back up because that's the enemy whispering in your ear, all sorts of lies against God. He loves you. And if you focus in on that, everything else will begin to fall into perspective. Now, let me be honest, giving up my coping mechanisms sometimes is really hard. Sometimes it feels like those coping mechanisms are the only things holding me together. And the idea of facing real life without them simply terrify me. No matter what it is, it just terrifies me. And that's when I have to focus on 2 Timothy 1 and 7 and Romans 8 and 37 because God has not given me the spirit of fear flat out. So I refuse to allow the enemy to manipulate me out of spiritual and emotional holiness. It may take a bit of struggle, but through Christ, I have already run the battle and all I have to do is show up for the fight. So no backing down. I just have to keep telling myself, you got this. God's got you. You want it. Just keep pressing. 
just keep trusting God. I spent my whole life substituting the penetrating peace of God with temporary and topical relief of self-medication. The thing is, we don't always understand that true healing requires some level of pain. It's unfortunate that we fear the pain more than we do the condition, so we allow ourselves to be lulled into cooperation with the enemy's plan for our lives to keep us from living the abundant life. True strength is totally trusting and depending on God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9-11 reads, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I want you to be encouraged Be blessed by the word of God. Be transformed by the word of God. And don't be ashamed of your pain. Surrender it to God and watch him turn it all around for his glory and for your benefit. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, I'm not perfect. I still need Jesus. So now that we've come to the end of another episode, let's keep the conversation going. I want to know what you think. You can go ahead and email me at hello at sweetsvirtue.com or you can find me anywhere on social media and DM me or just send me a comment and tell me what you thought about the latest episode. You can find me anywhere on social media at sweetsvirtue. And if this episode blessed you in any way, go ahead, share with friends and family. And if you haven't already, I'd like you to sign up for my weekly newsletter. I want to send you some midweek motivation and some random updates about what I'm doing in the community, on social media, or just in real life. So until then, be blessed. I love you.